Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Petrolhead Podcast. I'm Kyle Mayer. I'm Chaz Logue. And this podcast is brought to you by Petrolhead Cafe, a soon-to-be launching bar and restaurant concept that is going to be based in Hartford, Connecticut. If you uh, check out our website, which we have uh, on which we have lots of uh, apparel available for sale with our Petrolhead logo, um, I'm going to give you a discount of... What do you think, Chaz? 10 or 15% to our podcast listeners? 15? All right, we'll go big. 15% off with the the promo code podcast. That's 15% off with the promo code podcast. If you go to petrolheadcafe.com right now or anytime, really, and uh, buy some baby onesies or maybe a nice uh, winter hat since the weather's cold. We do have some sweatshirts and other uh, winter apparel. Uh, cold weather apparel, I should say, available on there. So go ahead on there, check it out. Free shipping with a purchase of $39 or more, plus 15% off your entire purchase with the code PODCAST. So Kyle, I couldn't help but notice that you said Petrolhead Cafe based in Hartford, Connecticut. Now, for a while, you've been saying the Hartford area. Does this mean that you've made progress or... Was that just the way you decided to say it tonight? Just the way I happened to say it. But oh, I thought you were going to drop a bomb on us. <laughs> no, no. I mean, okay, there is like more of an update, I guess, in that regards. For a little while now, I've been working with a mentor um, through the Connecticut Small Business Development Center, and he is kind of the service industry bar, restaurant, brewery specialist. He himself, uh, with his wife, own a an ice cream shop out in Brooklyn, Connecticut. Uh, if you've never been to Brooklyn, Connecticut, it's a charming little town uh, all the way on the eastern border with Rhode Island. Um, their ice cream shop is called, what is it called? <laughs> the Ice Box. I was thinking something scoop, but it's called the Ice Ice Box, and their uh, their tagline is no scoop till Brooklyn. So that's why that's why I, that's why I had the word scoop on my mind. But yeah, if you're uh, in eastern Connecticut or um, you know, when the weather's nicer and you're going for a drive in the eastern Connecticut area, check out um, the Icebox Ice Cream Shop in Brooklyn, Connecticut. It's it's it, they have great ice cream. They make it themselves in house. It's delicious. All kinds of cool flavors. But yeah, so my business mentor owns that shop, and uh, the start of January. Almost a month ago, he and I had a, a long conversation about the next steps for Petrolhead. And what came out of that conversation was really it's too it's too soon to really think about uh, a brick and mortar space. Just even though the COVID vaccine is, is being distributed, the, the restaurant industry is still on shaky ground. Also, there's not a lot of lending going on with banks and so forth. So it might be tough to get alone for to build out a space so i had kind of been thinking for a while and i think i've described this on a previous episode been thinking of combining a um a built out space for patron seating and beverage service meanwhile food service is conducted in a food truck or food trailer um and that's kind of the kitchen and that just allows a lot more flexibility and adaptability so Right now, I think the decision that I've made is to pursue getting a food truck. Parkville Market is, the door is closed at this point. I don't think I'm going to be getting a spot there. So the next step is to get a, a food truck. So that's kind of the the next thing. I'm trying to just shop around, look for food truck uh, fabricators, builders, and so forth. So it's probably going to take around, if, if I buy a brand new, like newly built out, custom built out food truck um, in the size that I want, which is at least a 22 foot food truck, um, as opposed to an 18 foot food truck, um, which is pr- 18 feet to 22 feet is pretty standard, but 22 and up is on the larger size. And I need something larger because I will have a um it will have a uh, a smoker in there did you just drink something with cbd in it i did yeah <laughs> what are you drinking cbd it's called chill af <laughs> oh it's it's beer well no it's 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 a cbd seltzer oh um so there's no alcohol in it my um so my wife is uh, allergic to alcohol and, what uh yeah yeah Whoa. so <laughs> so um and uh, one of my best friends, he just quit drinking a little while ago, and he started picking up these CBDs. So when he would come over, he 
would bring like these CBD drinks and uh, I was like, oh, what does that do? And he's like, oh, nothing. I mean, it doesn't have THC or anything. He's like, but it just kind of mellows you out and, and whatnot. So I was like, oh, all right. So my uh, the liquor store right next to us, he started carrying them. So, uh, you know, we tried it. I was like, oh, this is pretty nice. So um, it's, uh, it helps me sleep. <laughs> like I, I drink them close to bedtime and I've been sleeping better. Um, I don't drink them every night, but, you know, nights when uh, if I didn't get a lot of sleep the night before, then I usually drink them before bed because I find that it helps. But yeah, yeah. no, they're pretty good. They come in a few different flavors. This one's Thomas Hooker. Um, but uh, I think Long Trail is that the other brewery? Uh, they they do one okay. as well. I forget yeah. what they call this. I know Long Trail, but I uh, am limited in knowledge about CBD beverages. Yeah, so. yeah. It's, it says right on. It says you know zero calories, zero fat, zero sodium, zero carbs, zero protein, one hundred percent chill factor. Okay. <laughs> it says I'll... tranquility in a can. All right. I'll have to check that out. I'm very curious. Yeah, the, and there's their uh, the breweries right in Bloomfield. So I was going there for a while because they have mango flavored ones, and, and that's what the ones my wife like uh, likes. Okay, so I've been going to pick those up there. But um, I asked my the guy in my liquor store because he's really cool if he'd just start carrying the mango ones. So he said yes, and now he's got them right there, so I don't have to drive all the way to Bloomfield. Nice, that's cool. Um, yeah, I I think the only CBD product I've ever tried was like a little gummy thing, and that didn't there was no I don't remember any effect whatsoever, no like calming or yeah. relaxing or whatever, but I'll have to check out the uh, the, the drinks. I mean, I, I think I'm probably the only millennial that doesn't have anxiety or anything like that, so <laughs> at least based on the posts I'd see. Um, so, it, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's supposed to be what it helps you with, right, is is like anxiety and stuff, but um, and like, you know, calming down when, you have, when you're nervous and stuff. I don't really get nervous or anxiety, so I don't see that effect. Uh, I've used CBD stuff for my like muscles and stuff before. Yeah. I have like joint pain. I had that right. like the rub on stuff, yeah. uh, and that was super helpful. But uh, actually, so I'll, I'll I'll throw a plug out there. Uh, Michael Hershen, right? Yeah. Uh, one of our guests that we had a while ago, his brother Andrew or Andy used to um, work on my car. He had a garage called FTBR, Fixed Track Brake Repeat uh garage no longer has that what he ended up doing was opening up a cbd farm so now he farms cbd products uh so he has butter and other stuff on his website and it's called uh addison farms af i think it just happens to be af has no relation to (laughs) what af means but uh funny enough but no addison's his daughter's name Uh, so he calls uh, i think addison Farms. so you can check out their products online nice all right you'll have to check it out i've never used the um the excuse me the cbd topical stuff but it seems very interesting um and i don't i don't have as many joint issues as i used to uh when i lived in illinois and the winters were colder than they are here uh, while i still are colder um i definitely experienced a lot more uh joint irritation um and it's 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 not necessarily like a like a genetic thing i just was an athlete growing up and in college and um i did wrestling i've had uh i was gonna say three but that's not true i've had four orthopedic surgeries on my shoulders and knees well knee one knee surgery so um yeah uh tearing your acl hurts a lot yeah so my shoulder's gonna be due it's been keeping me up the last few nights in pain so oh really yeah it's probably probably due for something okay yeah. Um, so yeah, I used to have a lot more issues with my my joints because of that, but um, not not in a while, thankfully. So. Um, oh, yeah. quick. Uh, while we're while we're talking about the Hershens, um, yeah. Did you, did you see the update about FCP Euro? I saw some teaser photos. Yep. I have not. I have not. Um, like seen the actual news. Do you want to talk about that now, or save it for like a, a you know when we're we're, when we're talking about news stuff? Yeah. Whatever you want. Okay, I'll I'll just wrap up talking about the food truck food truck thing and, and petrol ed, and then we can talk news. Um, so yeah, uh, banks aren't really lending too much money. They're dealing with another round of the uh, PPP funding, which I think was a paycheck or payroll protection program that the federal government's got. So um, you know, I need to keep things pretty pretty slim and, and lean and flexible. Um, so depending on the route that I go with the food truck, I'll probably be spending anywhere between. Fifty and eighty thousand dollars for uh, for the food truck that's going to make it happen. So you know, keep stay tuned over the next six six months, and um, yeah, we'll keep you updated. So all right, awesome news. FCP Euro. 
Oh yeah. So um, yeah. So our our uh, one of our favorite uh, uh, world challenge drivers, right? Um, uh, Michael Hershen was a guest of ours a little while ago. So him and Nate Vincent are now they've uh, just announced. I think it was today or yesterday they announced that they're going to be driving um, a new Mercedes AMG in the GT4 for the uh, Michelin Pilot Challenge. Oh, are they moving into IMSA? Yep. Yes. Pilot oh, Challenge. that is so exciting. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's awesome. So they 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 announced the the they announced it today. They posted pictures and videos and everything. Uh, so Nate and Michael will be driving that car um, as well. I think Mid Ohio in the middle of May is going to be the first race of the car. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it's pretty excited. You know, they 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 uh, I think it was a C three hundred, whatever the Mercedes was that they brought to I think it was AER racing, right? So, um, you know, if you remember Michael talking about it, where they wanted to focus on a brand, right? BMW is what they're known for. Then they said, well, what if we try doing a, a Mercedes racing program, right? So they did that, and then they got a lot of results there. And then they said, what if we do VW, right? So they did that, had a lot of results there. So now they're going back to Mercedes, um, and uh, they'll be car number 11. Uh, and I'm just, I'm so excited to see uh, to see how they do. I think that's such a beast of a car. Uh, what is that like? I was looking it up before and see if I have notes. It was something like a, was a 700 horsepower, 600 horsepower. I forget what it is, but uh, it's just going to be such a monster of a car. Um, you know, big difference from the, the Volkswagen that they were used to. Right. But, uh, yeah, either way, I think it's going to be awesome. If you see the pictures of it, it's freaking gorgeous, right? Yeah. It's white, black, and blue, you know, and, and the FCP Euro on the door and uh, Liquamali on the hood. But, um, yeah, such a cool car. Yeah. I like that car as a street car. Yeah. I like it has this, how do I say it? Like strange beauty to it. You know, it doesn't have that, that like that supercar look like a Ferrari or McLaren or, or Lamborghini or something. Yeah. Um, it's, it's front, front engine. I mean, I hope it's front engine cause that, that, that front of that car is very long. <laughs> so yeah. there's gotta be something under there. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So to me, uh, that definitely has some strange, like a strange beauty to it. Um, like it's not, you know, I, I can see it being very polarizing, you know, like I, I'm, if I, I can, I can definitely see somebody like my wife looking at that and be like, Oh, it's okay. Or, you know, it's kind of ugly, you know, I, but I find it attractive. And if, if I was in the market for a car like that, I think it would be on my short list for sure. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a perfect balance from like the luxury Mercedes side of things, mm-hmm. but I think it also has like the stance kind of tuner look to it at the same yeah. time. Right. So it, it's a, I think it, you know, I feel like Lexus does a pretty good job with some of their cars too. In this, in this regard of balancing mm-hmm. that classy versus sporty look, uh, which is actually what attracted me to my Jaguar too, is it's like classy, but it's also sporty. Yeah. Right. Um, which gives you some polarizing people in the community, right? If you do something like, you know, I've put little accents on my Jaguar and, and the, the purists are like, you ru- just ruined the perfect car. Why, why touch it? It's already perfect. And then mm. the racer side of the community is like, oh, that's great. I love it. So, right. you know, it's, it's <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think, I think the Mercedes AMG T falls into that category too. So either way, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very happy for them. I'm excited for them. Uh, and actually one of my really good friends too, just started, uh, just took a job at FCP Euro as well. Nice. Uh, so she's uh, going to be working uh, alongside Michael and other people um, on the more of the PR side of things. Okay, man, that's got to be so exciting. Um, I have I have news on my show notes. Um, I mean, I have a lot of notes about the Rolex Twenty Four, but it's not like that's that's more of a excuse me like main topic thing than news. Do you want to go over any other news newsy things? <laughs> Um, I mean, we're going to talk K-Mag, I'm sure, in a bit. Um, so the other Haas driver who got fired, Grosjean, they announced he's going to be going to IndyCar. Um, mm-hmm. He's not going to be driving like the fast ovals like Indy or I think Texas Motor Speedway or whatever the other one is. Um, so he won't be driving those, but he's going to be driving all the road courses. Um, I don't know why he's not doing the ovals. I don't know if it's because he's not, not just not experienced on ovals or if he's afraid given the recent crash he had at, so the higher speed, you know, and the more dangerous races he's not doing. So I don't know what, um, what the motivation is behind that, but, uh, you know, I guess it'll be good to see him back in a car. He was never one of my favorite drivers. Um, I actually preferred K mag over him, but, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to see that he, he's not just totally walking away from motorsports at the same time. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be good to see him back in a car and, 
Honestly, if he is nervous about doing ovals, I don't blame him one bit. Um, I mean, I think if I were in any position to drive an Indy car for like in whether his position, he has the opportunity and the privilege certainly to to be like, eh, I'm going to race, you know, just the road courses. You know, um, if I were in that position, I I would probably try to take on Indy just because it's such a I mean, it's an it's huge for one thing. Like there's plenty of room uh, at Indy on the on the track compared to some other ovals. Uh, it's it's just I would I would do Indy just for the for the sake of it, because it's such an iconic race. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I mean, having been to the track myself and, um, you know, even seeing it on TV, you can see that it's it's just it's big enough, even though the speeds are really high, it's it's large enough and, you know, I don't want to say safe enough, but I it just it's you have to really screw up there if you're, you know, to, to crash. Whereas, you know, some of the other the other tracks are a lot more, I think, a little, you know, maybe they're not kept up as well or it's just just not as large. So I, I would say the smaller ovals might be a little more dangerous. Yeah, I mean. But then, you know, your speeds are lower, so the impact is much more survivable, I guess. But uh, he's also a French man, right? So maybe you, to him, the indie is not uh, not very uh, <laughs> not very important. Well, like Le Mans, something like Le Mans. Uh -huh, you go to Le Mans and, or, uh, you know, something like that. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, to, <laughs> he came over from Formula 1 to, to Formula race 1. against... Uh, I don't know. Who, who would he race against? He came from Formula 1. Oh, Formula 1 to race against Chip Ganassi. <laughs> Scott Dixon. Ah, oh, man. Cool. So, oh, speaking of ovals and indies, uh, IndyCar, IndyCar is losing uh, one of our, our hometown heroes, I guess, from Connecticut. Um, Santino Ferrucci is not racing IndyCar this year. He's actually gone to NASCAR, and he's moved to Florida, so he's not, uh, uh, he's not a nutmegger anymore. He's living down in Florida, and he's going to race in NASCAR. Um, I'm disappointed, kind of bummed, but whatever, good for him. He's very good at ovals, apparently. So, you know, I wish him, you know, wish him all the best in NASCAR. Yeah. Okay. Nice. I didn't know that. I didn't catch that. Yeah. Um, let's see. Hamilton still hasn't signed the contract. What? What? He hasn't? <laughs> no. Oh, jeez. No. I think at it's, this point they're, they're looking. I mean, there's there's rumors and they can't really openly negotiate. So I don't know how much I believe any of this. But I guess last I heard is it's a you know a two year contract they're looking at and he's gonna have the option to veto um, his co driver or something like that. So that what? that was that was the the, the no. most recent leaked rumor um, that went out. But uh, yeah, the whole thing's ridiculous. That that doesn't make any sense. I mean the uh, like unfortunately with. George Russell's performance in uh, Bahrain, Bahrain. Um, you know, unfortunately with George Russell's performance, I think that puts the uh, tips the balance of power towards uh, the Mercedes team and uh, Toto Wolff not toward Lewis Hamilton and uh, at the negotiating table, unfortunately. Toto said in an interview that he has not brought up the George Russell day <laughs> in, during the negotiations. That has not played a factor. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah ferrari was legal two years ago yeah i'm gonna believe that okay <laughs> well lewis we have to consider that uh the other driver who was in your car at the end of last year was uh doing very good <laughs> and uh i do not think that uh we can give you all that you that you wish right now <clears throat> they can pay they can pay literally russell uh, one one hundredth of what Lewis was getting paid, and and Russell would take the deal in a heartbeat. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh well. Um, anyway, yeah, I think I yeah, I'm excited for. I don't. I guess I don't know that much about uh what Kevin Magnuson is is gonna be doing, but it's cool that he and Roman Grosjean and um actually in Moto America in the uh, motorcycle uh world, uh, there's a, a Frenchman actually who's coming over. Uh, from World Superbike, Loris Baz yeah. is going to race in Moto America. I don't know uh, if you caught sight of that or anything, but that's actually kind of a big deal in my mind. Um, for a while, Tony Elias was the only international star. Um, I mean, there's been plenty of international riders, uh, don't get me wrong, uh, in Moto America, and they've done done well. Um, but Tony Elias was the 2010, I want to say, Moto2 world champion. Um, Tony Elias in 2007, I think, 
give thereabouts. He actually won a MotoGP race and beat Valentino Rossi. Um, like very, uh, almost like on the last lap, he beat Valentino Rossi, which is quite a, uh, you know, and at that time, Valentino was at his, in his prime at his peak of his career. So to beat Valentino Rossi, um, was a very big deal at, at the time and still is a big deal in my book. Um, people, I've heard people poo poo Tony Elias a little bit, but I've always been a big fan of him, especially as he's been in the Moto America paddock. Um, I think Tony won the Moto America Championship the second year he was in it. Um, but he's always he's always toward the front, like podium contender at every round. Um, really nice guy, really cool guy. I don't know what he's doing this year. There's been a lot of team shuffling the last couple of years. Um, they don't. I don't know that there's any true factory teams in Moto America. There are factory supported, um, and they're kind of they. I don't know if there's a Formula One equivalent, um, but it's it's really like the factory supported teams. The teams are actually operated more privately, um, like the Yamaha, you know, the quote unquote Yamaha factory team in Moto America was actually run by Graves Motorsport, um, which I think is out of California. And now the team is managed and operated by Attack Performance, I think also out of California. It's still called the Yamaha team or they might even be able to call it the Yamaha factory team, but um, you know, the actual logistics up op- day-to-day operations and, and things are actually taken care of by uh, a, a different organization that works alongside the factory. So factory Yamaha um, and then f- the factory Suzuki team has been Yoshimura Suzuki actually for like decades. Um, and then only a year or two ago, they Yoshimura unfortunately dropped out. Um, as a team, and then a, another team came in and kind of took the took the mantle of of Suzuki, um, and the Suzuki bikes just haven't haven't quite been the same since, uh, unfortunately. And Tony's been riding that Suzuki and uh, just hasn't been able to put up the results that he did when he first entered the series in 2015 ish. Um, so anyway, Loris Baz is coming over from World Superbike, very talented rider. Uh, he raced in MotoGP for a few years, did very well on a privateer team. Um, Forward Racing was the, the team at the time, and then he's been at a couple of other private teams uh, in the MotoGP paddock. I think he raced for Kawasaki Racing Team in World Superbike, which is um, one of, if not the best team in the World Superbike paddock. I watched an interview with Loris uh, last night where he was describing a little bit why, I wouldn't say, well, a little bit why why he's coming over to Moto America. Um, I mean, honestly, it, I I wouldn't be surprised if it was just the best opportunity that he had pay wise and um and everything. But at the same time, it seems kind of weird that another team wouldn't wouldn't pick him up, whether it's World Superbike or even British Superbike. Um, now he is 28 years old, which is a little on the older side, especially if you're not like a repeat um, world champion like Jonathan Ray. Um, Jonathan Ray is the Kawasaki factory rider and he's won like the last six world superbike championships. And I think he's in his early thirties by now. So if you're 28 years old and you really aren't up on the factory teams, um, you know, I mean, Loris Boz is a top six rider at any race, any world superbike race easy. And he's been on private teams. Um, but unfortunately, like if you're not, if you're not in that, that, factory squad that's going to put you on the podium uh more frequently then it's a lot of teams have a hard time justifying having having somebody close to age 30 on their team because they would rather have somebody it's like if you have a guy who's 28 years old and a guy who's 21 years old and they're both about the same level of talent you know you're going to take the younger guy because you can kind of groom groom him right you know and all that so um i'm kind of surprised british superbike british superbike has a little more I don't want to say prestige, but more reputation, I guess, as being a, a talent pool. Um, it's, you know, the talent pool in, in British Superbike is is very deep. It's pretty deep water compared to Moto America. Um, so I don't know. Maybe Moto America was either the only deal or the best deal uh, that Loris Boz could get. Either way, it's going to be great to see him in the paddock. This is very good for the series. Um, I'll take, you know, competitive international riders 
uh, filling the grid over mediocre American riders any any day of the week and twice on Sunday because um, I don't care if I, I don't care about having American riders in the American series. I want a competitive series that American riders aspire to achieve in. So anyway, that was a little long winded, but you know that's it for for me as far as as news goes. Um, Actually, I was I read it while we're talking uh, MotoGP. I read a um, an article. Um, I can't remember who who it was, but uh, I think it was back in '06. They said that uh, Valentino Rossi was in line to jump into a Ferrari Sauber at F1. Mm-hmm. That uh, they were going to see if he was going to sign for it. So they were talking about how they were had that the deal almost went through and everything, but then he ended up signing for Yamaha or something like that uh, instead of going to Ferrari. So we almost saw Rossi in a uh, uh, a Formula One car probably would have ruined his career. <laughs> Why do you say it would have ruined his career? Oh, because he probably wouldn't have done as well in that as he has in MotoGP. So you can't hang your leg out of a Formula One car and be successful. <laughs> uh, I don't know. He's got some of the like if he's on a competitive in or on a competitive machine, he's he's got some of the best racecraft in the world. So yeah, true. Know. But I mean, he's also up against the best, right? So you know. yeah. No, yeah, I, I understand. It, it's all speculation. I mean, he did get to drive. Um, I think it was Lewis Hamilton's car, right? Uh, they did. They did a swap. I, I forget where they were. Silverstone or, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, or, or was it the uh, the Red Bull ring? I forget where they were, but they did like a swap, and uh, Lewis took out his bike, and I think it was it was Silverstone, but Lewis took out his bike, and uh, Rossi got to take out the uh, the F1 car, uh, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. I saw that on uh, I forget where I was watching that, but yeah. So anyway, no, I just I just thought I'd throw that out there because I came across. That. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. That almost yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah. I remember I remember hearing about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can't I can't necessarily disagree with you as far as like ruining his career. Um, and I think it has probably has. I mean, in my mind, it would have less to do with how competitive he is, um, and more to do with just the culture of Formula One. I mean, Formula One, it's like sometimes it seems like musical chairs compared to MotoGP. I mean. The the GP guys, they especially the factory guys, like they they stay there for a long time. And I think part of it is just the setup of the bike um, is a lot more important. And like the bike is matched to the rider a lot more so than the car is matched to the driver in Formula One. Um, I mean, like, again, like we saw with George Russell, you know, he can just hop in Lewis Hamilton's car and do very, very well. Whereas, um, you know, you take a. Well, we had that with Marquez, right? Marquez was out. Right, yeah. Um, Stefan Brattle stepped in to um, to ride his bike, basically. But then, but then it's 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 not it it becomes not his bike, right? Like it's they change the setup, they change the 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 way the controls are, like the footrests are are adjusted, the you know the the hand grips might be tweaked a little bit, like the ride height might be tweaked. So it becomes a different bike according to the rider. You know, like um, I know that when Jorge Lorenzo was on the factory Yamaha alongside Valentino Rossi, Rossi's bike had a little bit of a longer wheelbase, you know, because Lorenzo preferred a shorter wheelbase and just little things like that, adjusting every little thing. And it it, like you changed a a few little data points, basically, with the bike. And it it just kind of changes. It changes a lot on the track when you're when you're chasing tenths of a second per lap. You know, it can really make a big difference. So. Um, so yeah, I think, um, you know, that's, that's part of the reason why, like, it's just, it's more of an investment for the factory. Um, it's more to, to take on a rider. Um, so they usually end up staying five plus years a lot of times. Um, you know, I mean, and Lewis Hamilton has been with Mercedes for a long time, but you know, he's been world champion when he's at Mercedes. So it's like they, you know, why change the winning formula? Right. Right. Um, speaking of Valentino Rossi in a car though, he did, he and his half brother, uh, Luca Marini and his friend, Uccio, I think his name is, I, I forgot his name. They raced in some, some endurance race, eight hour or 12 hour in the Middle East. I don't know exactly what it was, but it wasn't a super competitive field. Um, I watched some of the highlights. It wasn't the most exciting race. It was like, there was only like 12 cars. And uh, Rossi and his 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 uh, team they placed like fourth overall and third in class. So you know like yay champagne podium, but at the same time it was like you came in fourth in a field of twelve. <laughs> <laughs> like all right, cool. 
Yeah, I'm sure like they, you know, I'm sure sponsors probably don't let them race in, in anything too dangerous. So you start getting, you know, bigger fields, it gets more dangerous. And it's like, ah, let's think about the risks here. Is it worth, you know, losing your career over this amateur race? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. Because you see that with, uh, I just, I'm, I'm thinking, I don't know why this jumped in my head, but uh, Top um, Top Gear when Usain Bolt was on there. Um, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, so Usain Bolt would just won the uh, the gold medal and um, was on Top Gear, and yeah, they said, well, what happened? He's like, oh yeah, once I won, they offered to buy me a car, but they wouldn't want to buy me anything too fast because they don't want me to get in trouble. But they ended up buying him an M3, and he rolled it like six times or something <laughs> like that, and uh, and they showed a picture, and the car was just totally destroyed. It was like oh, nothing. Man. And they're like, oh, my God, did you get hurt? And he's like, well, yeah, because I got out of the car and there was uh, prickers on the ground. And I wasn't wearing shoes. <laughs> I pricked my foot. <laughs> it's oh, like, boy. okay. So it was, it was a really funny interview. He ends up doing really well in the um, the reasonably priced car challenge. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I've been I've been watching a lot of Top Gear, actually, lately because I, um, I subscribe to Motor Trend On Demand. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, they had a they had a sale um, late last year when Twenty Four Hour of Le Mans was going on. Yeah. So it was like twenty five bucks for a year, and I was like, oh okay, you know, right. normally it's five dollars a month, give or take. Um, yeah. But I was like, twenty five bucks for a year, like yeah, I'll take it. You know, let's see what this is all about. So there's a lot of content, a lot of uh, a lot of shows from from yesteryear, like uh, American Chopper, um, which I remember uh, from early high school um they have all the all the top gears they've got top gear america showing on there but they also and this was really kind of neat actually um ken kaplan a guy who i would love to interview on this podcast um who operates the new england motorcycle museum um and also a a motorcycle repair shop right next door it's it's practically part of the the motorcycle museum but anyway ken ken has this uh alter ego uh called kaplan america and um it's it's kind of it's kind of funny um you know he's kind of this like very yeah very i don't know uh not not stereotype eh, i guess yeah there's a lot of stereotypes with with kaplan america but uh, arch archetype arch arch archetype yeah. archetype yeah it's like a very uh, you know archetype you know america american flags and mm-hmm. you know all that sort of stuff so um he actually made one episode with discovery channel they did a pilot um of of the show kaplan america um which kind of documents the activities of the museum and the the motorcycle repair shop and they do a lot of um restoration of vintage dirt bikes and vintage motocross bikes and to to make money they flip those bikes like they'll they'll find you know they go around looking for barn finds kind of things these older you know dirt bikes that have been left in a barn for 40 years and then they restore them and sell them on ebay and stuff and that's kind of how they how the the shop makes money which is cool um but then of course they throw this this other element into it um where ken and his little posse they'll they'll uh they'll go find people who have stolen motorcycles you know they get word of a, of a stolen motorcycle somewhere and they'll they'll try to track it down and find the thief and everything so oh, wow. that that pilot episode is on motor trend on demand um, and I'm glad it is because I don't have Discovery Channel in any way, shape, or form. Um, you know, if, if you listeners out there have Motor Trend on Demand or Discovery Channel, um, you know, I encourage you to to try and try and find that. Um, I don't know if they're going to do any more episodes. That that would be something I would love to ask Ken if if he comes on uh, the podcast. But but anyway, yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. No, I, I don't have the uh, the Motor Trend. I have been watching a little bit of Red Bull TV when they have new stuff in the very few minutes that I have now to watch TV. But <laughs> okay, I did Just make time do- for for uh, for Daytona though. Yeah, um, you want to talk Daytona? Sure. Yeah. All right. I missed all the first day, and I came in early on Sunday, and basically from like 8 a.m. till checkered flag. Mm-hmm. So you know, doing doing stuff in between, but you know, always had it on. Right. Right. So thoughts, analysis, opinions. Yeah, I was rooting for K Mag, um, and uh, I, I was unrooting for, I guess, jeering for is the word <laughs> okay. for uh, Simon Pagina. 
um, because okay. I'm still bitter about what he did to Landon Norris in the eSports series, <laughs> yep. where, if you recall, he uh, basically crashed out and then waited for Landon Norris to come around so that he can wreck him in the Indy 500 uh, virtual event. Um, because he's like, whatever, it's just it's just a virtual race. And, you know, I know we talked about that at length at the time. Um, so I'm still butthurt about that. Um, <laughs> so I've been going after my, my precious Lando. So, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, I felt like that guy from like the 90s. Leave Britney Spears alone. Like, leave Lando alone. He really wants this. He's doing great. Just leave him alone. Uh, so anyway, so so I was... But at the same time, I liked um, Kobayashi, right? I like Kobayashi, which was um, his uh, his co-driver. Um, so I was like, ah, you know, I'd love I'd love to see Kobayashi win, but if that means Simon Paginot wins, then screw Kobayashi. So <laughs> <laughs> kind of the mentality I went in there, and and they were leading for a while, so I got a little nervous. Um, and then um, Van Van, what's his name, Vander Vanderzam? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know Vanderzanda, Van something like that. Yeah, so. So he was, he's, um, K-Mag's, um, teammate, as you know. Um, so he was in the car toward the end with, I don't know, it was like 20, 30 minutes left. Um, clearly like a, a second and a half faster and only like, you know, 10 seconds down. So definitely was, was going to catch him, did catch him, tried to make a pass, didn't make it stick, fell back a little bit, but then was, was regaining. And then all of a sudden a flat. I feel like every time I'm hardcore rooting for a driver, to make a pass, they get a flat. I feel like, like George Russell and Bahrain, like all these times where I'm, where I get emotionally invested, you know, <laughs> contrast, I've been hurt before. Don't do this, but I get emotionally invested. And then what happens? A flat happens. It's like, ah, I think, I think I, so I, I apologize, Kevin Magnuson. I think that was my, uh, that was me being too invested in you, you know, <laughs> jinxed it. I jinxed it. I jinxed Russell and I jinxed, uh, jinxed, uh, kevin so yeah oh well so yeah i mean that was that was um that was the battle i was watching the most closely i thought it was cool that the taylor racing right you basically had a team owner taylor you had a a a driver on the team named taylor and then you had another taylor uh all come home with the championship so um you know um two two brothers and a father and i think that's uh uh that's you know that's that's got to be a really cool feeling right you know sure they had a great family dinner that night <laughs> yeah you know with 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 uh you know a winner as an owner and then two two wins as a driver yeah for sure. uh, i mean those were the biggest highlights okay yeah i i found this out through instagram but i guess in lmp3 the second place team is actually affiliated well not affiliated necessarily but um well i guess you could call it affiliated they had it on their uh on their car uh, affiliated with palmer motorsports park or whiskey hill raceway as, as it's also oh. called yeah, um, you know, can't say that LMP3 was an impressive battle. I think I think first place took. I, I think first was taken by like three laps or something. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like woohoo, P2 LMP3. You know, that was the biggest margin uh, of victory that uh, of of all the classes. Um, you know, and and I also heard rumors of people saying like, well. Pretty sure the uh, GTLM cars were overtaking the the LMP3 cars, and that's sad. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. I still don't. I, I I don't really understand. I mean, I can kind of get like LMP2, but I really don't understand LMP3 at all. Um, like, why is it there, and what's the difference? You know, I'm sure. Like, it's 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 got to be money or or something, but I don't really know the difference between LMP2 or an LMP3. Um, yeah. Speaking my, of oh, what. Oh, that I said, I'm not sure. Uh, I was gonna make a comment on LMP2, but go ahead. Oh yeah, I it's I I think it's it's kind of annoying that the the top prototypes are called DPI, like Daytona Prototype International, instead of LMP1. I think I think they should just call it LMP1. I don't know why they don't. Yeah. Um, unless it's some trademark thing that you know whoever puts on 24 Hours of Le Mans, like they have a trademark on LMP1 or something. Um, from what I know, there are small differences between the prototypes uh, in IMSA and the Le Mans prototypes that race in uh, the World Endurance Championship or the 24-hour Le Mans. Um, but I mean, come on, IMSA, just call it just call it LMP1. If you're gonna have LMP2 and LMP3, you know, you might as well just just go all in with the LMPs. Yeah, that's fair. The um, the LMP2 uh, class winner, um, one of the drivers, Kyle Tilly, is a uh, uh, a big AER guy. So um, okay, 
I don't know if he's he's probably still not doing AER this year because AER, you know, uh, American Endurance Racing. Uh, I'll be looking at um, joining their team, uh, joining a team this year for AER. Uh, my first race being at Summit Point. But um, yeah, so he was a big AER guy. So on all the AER forums, people are like, "Oh, Kyle, he had the car that was uh, decorated by a kid, like with a crayon." And oh yeah. They wrapped the car, so a really cool looking car. But um, yeah, so I was happy to see you know an AER guy uh, bring it home. Yeah, sweet. Overall, yeah. I thought the the race was excellent. I mean, the the battles in all the classes except LMP3 were <laughs> uh, were were good. I mean, and start from start to finish. And um, I love that motorsport gets an early start in the year. Um, unfortunately, the next IMSA race is until March in Sebring, which is kind of a bummer. Um, and it's kind of kind of odd that some of these these series they just spread their races out so much like imsa and indycar you know i was kind of perusing the nascar schedule last night and i was just like dang i mean nascar races a lot and it's kind of a you know kind of a bummer that we don't see imsa and indycar race quite as much or for quite as as long i think nascar i think they go into november whereas indycar goes maybe until october and then imsa do they even go past september I don't know, but um, but yeah, the 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 Rolex Twenty Four. It was it was one of those races. As I started watching it, I was like, when Petrolhead Cafe is like a, a brick and mortar, and you know people are, are are coming out to restaurants and bars again. Is this is the date is the Daytona Twenty Four? Is it is it going to be a race where I'm going to keep keep Petrolhead Cafe open all night for the race so that people can watch it? Um, hmm. Good question. I, I don't know. Yeah, because at, at first I was like, no, you know, maybe for 24-hour Le Mans, like for sure. But then this race was so good that I was like, dang, I really want to know what happened at like 3 a.m. Because the battles were going and it was the same battle. Like when I stopped watching the race, I don't know, it was in the af- like late afternoon, maybe early evening sometime. Um, I caught bits and pieces of it. But, you know obviously past like 10 11 o'clock i wasn't watching it the same battles were happening hours and hours later and i was like dang like what what happened when i was asleep and um i was like i was like all right all right all right okay okay like maybe rolex 24 daytona 24 hours of daytona is worthy of 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 keeping the the shop open all night i'm sure there's going to be a a couple of people who are curious about it or or whatever well i think Um, that this was you know just to, to talk about how good the race was they said that was it the most cars that have finished on the lead lap like ever wow okay i didn't know that i knew it was the most it was one it was a kind of a record setting for tv viewership but i hadn't i hadn't heard about that yeah it was something like seven cars or something like that or whatever it was um but they said it was the most cars that have, that have finished on the lead lap wow that, um, yeah i thought that was that was pretty cool yeah um i mean for for being a long competitive endurance race i was very impressed with with the way that all the cars and teams held up so well and i was it 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 got me thinking i i thought of this before um but it got me thinking like why why did team penske like the acura team penske why did they never race in the 24 hours le mans or um you know the the wheelin cadillac uh or you know the chip ganassi cadillac you know, prototype. Why? Why did they never go over to uh, to to Le Mans to race 24 hours and really flex their muscle and you know get some bragging rights? I don't know. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, you know, because I, I I watched a recap of 24 hours of Le Mans from the fall, whenever September October when it was actually run, and I was just like, eh, like it. I mean, I think Toyota won the overall with their prototype. But I think a lot of the prototypes were actually privateer teams. They weren't factory teams. Um, you know, so I was like, as as Le Mans, you know, dare I say Le Mans getting watered down a little bit. I mean, I it, it's stupid expensive to do it. But, you know, I, you know, I'm sure some of our IMSA drivers get hired to to do Le Mans. But I wish Team Penske would go and, and try it. I mean, they're that's just a powerhouse of motorsport here in the States. Um, Chip Ganassi has been over there when uh, he operated the Ford team that won Le Mans and GTE Pro um, a few years back. Um, there's actually a, a pretty interesting documentary of, about it, which um, I enjoyed. Um, but yeah, overall, like this was it was great to see. I, I loved how there were so many 
drive I mean, not just the drivers, but also the the booth commentators were from so many different uh series of motorsport. I mean, it was like IndyCar, NASCAR, IMSA, Formula One, all of the big all of the big series were represented in the in the twenty four hours of Daytona. And that coupled with the competitive, you know, with how competitive it was, it was very, it was refreshing and it, it, it made me very excited for um, the future of motorsport. And I, and I, I think, you know, there's no doubt we're going to see more overlap and, and kind of cross competition between disciplines and, and drivers. So it, 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 that was, that was cool. So, yeah, it was great. And we, we had our own Connecticut announcer as Lee. well. Lee. Yeah, Lee Diffie. Yeah. If you're listening, Lee, you got to come on our podcast. Man. Come on, come on, uh, come on over, Diff. <laughs> I might, you know, I got to message him on Instagram. That's really what I got to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, you never know. So he he posts the most random stuff sometimes. I mean, a lot of what he posts doesn't have anything to do with motorsport. Um, like he'll he'll post a picture of like a like a sunrise near where he lives or something. Or one time this uh, rainstorm knocked down a bunch of trees, so he had this photograph of him and like. The other dads in his neighborhood with their chainsaws, like, you know, moving trees out of the out of the road and driveways and stuff. So, you know, he seems like a regular guy. Uh, you know, maybe he'll uh, check his DMs and uh, <laughs> uh, come on to uh, to our podcast. But, yeah. Um, anything else about Daytona? No. Covered. OK. But one thing I w- Look at my show notes. I keep forgetting, but I finally wrote it down in my show notes to ask you, how does formula drift work? Because I have no idea how competitive drifting works. I mean, I know there's like two cars and one goes first and then the other one goes, but I don't really know much about formula drift beyond like, you know, vaping and white claw, <laughs> white claw hard seltzer. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's a, uh... So, so basically it's two cars at a time, right? So you get matched up with somebody that you got to compete against and you each run a lap, one as a lead car, and then you run the lap as a follow car. Sometimes they'll ask you to do another one of your runs again, right? The judges might say, okay, we want to see you do another lead lap, right? So that happens sometimes. Uh, it's not based on position, right? Because one person's starting, one person's following, and that's the position mm-hmm. you should end in. So you're not trying to overtake. Yeah. Um, but it is a judged sport, kind of like, um, you know, gymnastics routine or, mm-hmm. or something like that, right? So um, they judge you on your speed, um, how close you are to the their clipping points, right? So a clipping point basically being like an apex, uh, so there'd be an apex cone or a wall or a barrel or something. And mm-hmm. typically, if it's an inside apex, you want your nose to be passing as close as possible you know, maybe even scraping it. And then you want the rear of your tail uh, as you track out to come as close to the wall. It's usually a wall or, you know, a, or a cone or something, some kind of marker. So there's different points that you want the car to be at, but you also want to do this as fast as possible, right? Carry as much speed as you can. Um, and as the follow car, you know, you want to be right there glued to the lead car as much as possible and also run a good lap. So, you know, as there's transition points, you got to give room for the transitions that you can come up to the other side and things like that. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, I guess, foreseeing into that. So then ultimately the judges will give you scores based on, I know it's based on speed angle, um, you know, how close you are to your points. I think there's like a style, uh, category as well. I don't remember what all the categories are. Uh, but then they ultimately give you points and then they decide a winner. And then it, it's, you know, it's kind of a bracketed type of event typically. Okay. All right. So you'll start with like 16 drivers or whatever. And like each round you'll eliminate half the field. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. So what? Uh, yeah. I said something like that, give or take. I don't, I don't know exactly what the numbers are. To be honest, the formula drift is not something I, I watch religiously. I more watch the highlights, right? I'll watch like yeah. battles between people. Um, you know, and, and there is, I'm forgetting the name of the driver, but there was, there was a big hubbub about this guy who was kind of cheating by basically being the lead car and screwing up the rear car or then being the follow car and, and kind of bumping into the lead car to make them spin out, but like doing it almost hiddenly type thing. So, but it was okay. obvious when you watch the replays and stuff like that. So, I mean, there's, there's a little bit of that stuff going like, cause if I, if I'm doing a lap and then I like slow down in a spot where you're not expecting me to slow down and you're trying yeah. to be right on me, right. Yeah. That's screw you up and you have an accordion effect, right? You can do that right. in race too. 
Um, but in drifting, I think it's more, you know, it's more pronounced. You just screwed up that person's run. And it's really, a, a, usually you have like two or three turns and mm-hmm. then that's it. So it's a very short, quick course. I mean, it's like 10 seconds and then the run's done. Right, right. So if, if you and I were competing, um, you do two runs, like first you are leading and then I'm, and I'm following. And then we like go back to the starting line. I then lead and you follow. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So okay. like the leader will line up on, let's say the left side or whatever. And then the, the follower lines up on the right side and then they take off to throw it into the first corner, do the run, come back, switch positions. Now you're on the left, I'm on the right. And then, and then we do it like that, you know, versus yeah. club drifting, uh, the kind of stuff I did, it wasn't really for competition. It was more for fun. Yeah. Um, you would have like seven cars tandem in at a time. <laughs> um, like throwing in r- running into each other and and uh you know it was just a ton of fun because you didn't really care it was it was more just to show off the skills you can do but you're not doing it for a trophy you're just doing it for uh, the bill of replacing your tires <laughs> and your clutch <laughs> okay all right now i know how Mila Mila drift works um yeah. i think there's an fcp euro car um isn't there one of the drift now yeah, Michael Hartson was talking a little bit about it, I think, but yeah. I don't know if it, I don't think it's like officially FCP Euro. I think it's just heavily sponsored or supported by FCP Euro. I don't think it's at the same. That's fair. It's not, yeah. it's not an, I don't think it's an in-house team. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, uh, and a lot of guys I used to run with, um, like at Lebanon Valley and other places, they've gone on to pro, like Ryan Turek. Yeah. Right? first started drifting ryan turk had already been doing it for a couple of years and he had what he called the missile car it was just 240 sx that was just basically missing all his body panels and and rusted out um but like a crazy big turbo and put out a lot of power and he was just of course a fantastic driver um so ryan turk used to run von gittin jr would come out to some of the events and run um uh oh my god what's the guy's the uh the solstice tyler McCle- uh, mcquery you know, a lot of these guys would would run at some of the bigger events, um, which is also some, you know the same events we are for uh, Chris Forsberg, right? So, um, uh, yeah, so pretty cool stuff um, to now see them because it was like, oh, Ryan Turk, you know, he like we're Facebook friends, and then he goes yeah. out like, oh, now he's now he's this uh, this you know big pro drifter, but um, and now drifting's kind of growing in popularity, so uh, at least it was, it's a lot more popular now than when I first bought my 240, which is you know. If I didn't beat up my 240 so much, I probably could have sold it for a profit. <laughs> Ten years, you know? Yeah. Because the car was worth nothing when I bought it. And now because it's such a desirable car, it's, you know, it's worth a lot more. Right, for sure. Speaking of, of drifting and driving, I almost forgot. Um, you did a car control clinic at Lime Rock, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah, what happened with that? Yeah, so it was in it was in uh, um, February? No, it was January. February, January? Uh, it's February 4th. <laughs> so unless you did it in the last three days. Oh, sorry. There's another one in February. That's what I was going to go. Yeah, so it was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, so January. It's, so it's supposed to be a winter car control clinic. It was supposed to, you know, ideally be in the snow, but we hadn't had any snow up to that point. Um, so it was a cold weather clinic, and it was a freezing day. It was like 20 degrees with like a negative 10 wind chill. Um, so I was super bundled up, and uh, we're still not doing in-car coaching with SCDA. Okay. Um, so it was being paired with a student they would put a walkie-talkie in their car there's no helmets for this because it's fairly slow speed and a lot of open space mm-hmm. um, so they had their helmets basically or they had excuse me the, the walkie-talkie in the cup holder we get on the same station and i'd kind of coach them through um so i could see what they're doing you know i'm trying to coach them on the line i could see okay you got to your throttle too late try getting to throttle earlier and i keep pushing them to get to throttle earlier and earlier and earlier to the point where they can't control the car because we want to get the limit. This is where we want to go beyond the limit to learn how to fix it. Uh-huh. So, there was, for example, one of my students had a, a C7 Corvette Z06. Okay. And he had the car for only a few weeks. And his car before that was a Dodge Ram pickup truck. So it was his first performance car. <laughs> and uh, first time doing any type of performance driving, he heard about this. And he's like, well, I, I should probably know how to control my car because it's a lot of horsepower. Um, yeah, so for, for him, though. yeah, oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, he's doing all the right things. I wish everybody did that. Um, there'd be a lot more exotic cars still left on the road, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, he was, uh, you know, it was one of those like, okay, try to get the power earlier, get the power earlier. And he got to the point where he was sliding the car out of the corner tail first, but controlled it. Right. You yeah. know, a couple of times he, he corrected, but you know, we always say CPR, correct, pause, recover, right. The car yeah. starts sliding. You correct, you turn into the skid, 
you pause, you wait for the car to get settled, mm -hmm. and then the recovery. Once it's settled, the car straightens out about three or four times as fast as it initiated the drift. So your hands going into the skid are about three or four times slower than your hands to catch the recovery. So that's usually what screws people up. And I've seen that on the highway. I've seen cars crash on the highway where they get sideways yeah. and then they catch it, but then they don't catch the, the secondary drift, right? Okay. So the, the, the tail goes to the left, they turn to the left and catch it, but then it shoots over to the right and they're not fast enough to catch that. So they spin hmm. or go spinning the other way that it was initially going to spin. Um, it's one of, I, I've seen it literally twice, both times Honda Civics, <laughs> Honda Accords. And then I saw, an SUV do it once and then the guy tried he hit a car and he tried running so I chased him um in my car and I called the cops and his wheel ended up falling off so he pulled over on the side uh and then the cops asked me for a statement of what happened I was like well I'm actually driving it circle I'll tell you exactly what he did <laughs> All right I was like he turned he hit the brake he called you know we call that lift off oversteer right that's where the rear end got loose because he overweighted the front while turning uh he corrected into the spin overcorrected, and then shot it in the other direction hitting the car blah 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 and the whole thing so i gave a statement and <laughs> you know, a very detailed statement of exactly what happened turned out the guy was extremely drunk but anyway um so correct pause recovery we try to teach we try to teach them that coming out of it and then figuring out what understeer is and dealing with that too so it's uh it was a great day um a lot of cool cars showed up we had an amg gt oddly enough um show up and uh we had the a z06 um uh, just a, you know just a bunch of other cool cars I, I took my jag out too because i was trying i when i had this dude i want to show them the lap first just to kind of show them the line but i have winter tires on my jag and uh you know they're low treadwear rating so as soon as they get the temperature they just melt so i'm like telling myself like don't slide the car don't slide the car don't but i've never driven that track straight in a straight line i've always <laughs> driven that track with the tail hanging out because we used to do drifting there right. and then every time i'm there i'm teaching a car control clinic so i'm showing people how to slide a car and uh so it was very weird to drive the car in a straight line i'm like oh this is kind of boring <laughs> yeah is this at the autocross pad at lime rock yeah okay good. yeah we didn't use the skid pad because you can't wet it down Okay. Uh, and there was no snow, so you'd have to hit higher speeds, and there's not a lot of runoff there, so it wasn't really safe to use. Um, so we just use we use both sides. The, the if you look at the skid pad, it's kind of two kidney bean shapes. If you yeah. put it, together, it kind of looks like a butterfly. Yeah. Um, so we split the two kidney beans for the first hour. We and we split the groups, and then we switched. So the top of the hill group went to the bottom of the hill and did that. And then for the last hour, we let everybody run the full course. Okay. Um, three hours and then we broke for lunch and then a second group of people came and then we t we put them to the th same three hours okay cool long day yeah i got paid in uh granola bars <laughs> <laughs> okay and smiles all right <laughs> fair enough um is that all you got paid in or you actually no tell i me, don't tell t tell me you tell me you got some dollars out of this no doll hairs what yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's strictly volunteer. Typically, I would get track time. Um, oh. we, we weren't doing a track event, so it was just um, you know, I, I like teaching. I mean, my, my right. that's why I pursued a, a bachelor's in it. Um, so I like seeing people progress throughout the day. I like being around cars. And it's a Saturday in winter. I got nothing else to do. So <laughs> <laughs> wait till you have kids. <laughs> yeah, it, it helps with my seasonal depression. Um, uh, you know, to be around the. Uh, to be around melting tires. All right. Probably doesn't help my chances of not getting cancer, but uh, <laughs> helps my seasonal depression. Fair enough. No, I think I, I I guess that that's fair, especially if you get like compensated in in track time or something that like actually has some some tangible value to it. Yeah. Um, I mean, a few, a few are... organizations I work for, they'll pay. Like when I when I instruct for Lime Rock Drivers Club, you know, they pay very mm -hmm. well for that. Oh um, yeah, I bet. And then the extreme experience, they pay for that, and they'll put you up in hotels and pay for travel and stuff too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah that makes that makes a lot more sense for sure. Um, that's cool though. I mean, how I how much like if if I was going to do a, the your the, this clinic in February, how much does that cost me? Um, good question. I think it's like two or three hundred dollars, something okay. like that. Okay. Um, or maybe it's it might be closer to like two hundred. Where a typical track day is like three or four hundred. Mm -hmm. Um. It's probably actually like maybe it might even be less than two hundred. I'm sure I have it in an email, but um, I've actually never done one, I've never paid for one, so I don't know. Okay. Uh, I have an email here, so I'll see if I can I can find out what the cost is while we're talking. Is it? 
I mean, there's value in that for front-wheel drive cars, right? Because it sounds like what you're what, what you're describing is was it just coincidence that there were a lot of uh, like rear-wheel drive vehicles there that day. Um, I would say no. The the majority is probably rear-wheel drive. Um, we did have some all-wheel drive. We had a SUVs going out there. Um, so uh, you know, all-wheel drive SUVs, uh, and then we had front-wheel drive cars for sure. We had, oh, we, had a, okay. we had a Tesla Model Three out there too, which is cool. Okay. Nice. Yeah, because I, I only, I, I mean, I would have to go out there in a, a front-wheel drive car if I were going to do a, a clinic like that. Yeah. Um, I have actually, <laughs> the old Camry that we used to have, I did spin that once um, on on a dry street. It was this was in Illinois, and this is this is it was after this that I I really realized how badly uh, that car needed new struts. But I was going down a two-lane road where the speed limit was. 40 i want to say and i was in the left-hand lane when i shouldn't necessarily have been in the left-hand lane because i wasn't passing anybody um but my excuse is that i'm left-handed so i just like to do things on the left um and there was a it was rush hour i was coming home from work there was this really long line of of cars going the opposite way and there was a, a housing subdivision um and some guy in a bmw or an audi i think like pulled out in front of me from the subdivision like the, the the cars going the other way had made a little hole for him but they were still backed up and like i saw like the nose of his car come out and i was like don't do it don't do it don't do it so but he sure enough he pulls out in front of me and thankfully thankfully there was nobody next to me on my on the right so i just like i i, I don't know if i corrected i don't know when i corrected but like I, I did turn to the to the right to avoid colliding with him hard enough that like my car started to spin and I was like I was like uh oh here we go like I'm gonna spin I was afraid my fear was that I was gonna hit the curb and like tilt like tip over like I yeah. just have that momentum and then I didn't think about this at the time I don't think but later I was like oh man that could have been really bad if I had hit the curb if I struck the curb at the right angle and like flipped over it. it it might have like I might have gone downhill into a pond. Oh, um, yeah. So that would have been bad. But like at some point, at some point, I was able to get the the car corrected. And I don't know, you know, obviously like these things happen so fast. You don't know exactly what happens, but I know that the car spun at least once. But I turned into the the spin, and then like it kind of stabilized, and I was back like going in the correct direction. Yeah. So. That was super. It, it was a it was a weird experience. Like, I mean, it would have been really bad if there was a car right next to me on my right, but because um, I would have, I, I definitely would have like run into him. But like, I tried to I tried to swerve, and you can do that on a motorcycle. It's it's not you don't have that same like spin potential, I guess, and on a motorcycle. You can really you can you can swerve really hard on a motorcycle and not and and like you can just you know go right, go left, and then and you're you're pretty stable. You're not gonna do anything too too bad yeah but like in a in a car like i i yeah that was the one that was the only time i've ever really like lost traction badly uh in a car but anyway yeah. that's just a story well i mean front wheel drive cars certainly can happen I've, I've i've drifted my um my honda civic um on dry roads around corners where i just you know go into the corner hard lift off in the throttle hurdles oh, yeah. the car and, you know, for the most part, they're easier to correct because you turn into it and you just mash the throttle and you kind of like accelerate the front to catch up to the rear. You right. know, in sense. But um, and then when I do the, the lemons races in the Volkswagen, um, you know, I trail brake into corners. So I brake hard, put the steering in and then come off the brake to kind of wait up the, the rear. But at yeah. the same time, because in a front wheel drive car, it's all about kind of getting the car rotated in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you can get back to throttle as soon as possible. You know, you use that what we call lift off oversteer um, to get that rear kind of spinning around and pointing. Um, right. And, uh, you know, and then then once you're pointing in the right direction, you know, mash the throttle and go. Yeah. I think I can't remember if it was you who told me or might have even been in that book, The Art of Racing in the Rain that I read it in. But like if you're if you start to lose traction and it's wet, like, is it true? Maybe I've just like. Maybe I didn't read this or hear about this anywhere. Maybe I'm just think, wrong thinking. But like, if you start to lose traction, like if if the rear starts to step out and it's slippery, like in the rain, is it true you can correct by like kind of 
making a little bit of acceleration and like a quick but gentle like straightening of the the steering wheel oh so i'm trying to think it it kind of to me it always depends on why are you spinning right so if you go into a corner and it's lift off oversteer you know throttle can potentially correct that right okay nice smooth application of throttle if i'm coming off the throttle and it's getting the car to spin adding throttle back in might stabilize it right regardless brain or not um if i'm spinning because i'm power oversteering right so i'm spinning because i've got too much torque in the rear tires then well obviously adding more power is just gonna make it worse right um so yeah if i'm sliding into a corner and the car if i'm going into a corner and the car starts to slide um yeah throttle can potentially fix things um and it, it could help you balance, right? So the brake and the throttle could help you balance. You know, if I'm going to add the throttle, it's going to put the weight on the rear and come off of it, put it on the front. So if the car is kind of smoothly going into a corner, I would probably favor the brake if I'm doing like a four-wheel slide into a corner, especially in the rain. I'd probably favor the brake to get the car more under control. But um, I guess it would depend on what the balance feels like. I don't know. It's one of those you kind of have to feel it out um, yeah. as I'm thinking about it. But uh, so that's 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 why most cars are designed not to oversteer and they're designed to understeer because oversteer is generally harder for people to figure out and, and what to do. Um, and, the you know, understeer, the kind of the answer is slow down. Right. For the most part. Yeah. You can make it oversteer. But most cars have stability control nowadays that they kind of prevent that from happening. Um, but uh and I, I would say people have the right instinct with understeer, but they really don't. Because when I do the teen driving schools or when I do car control clinics, um, you know, we get them, we basically say, okay, hold, you know, we'll get on a wet circle. We'll mm-hmm. say, hold this radius. And they have like, you know, X amount of steering. And it's like, okay, yeah. hold, hold this radius. And then they add throttle. And now adding throttle means they're going faster. They try to tighten the wheel. So they tighten the wheel. And it gets to a point where you can't tighten the wheel anymore because you've lost grip. And the car starts to go wide and everyone's reaction, add more steering, which is counter, right? Because if you're, lo- if you're just on the verge of starting to lose grip by yeah. asking front tires to do too much, then asking them to do more is just going to yeah. exaggerate the issue. It makes makes it work. sense. Yeah. So the correct answer is actually a little less steering, right? Mm-hmm. Let's add a little bit more, more stability to the front, come off the throttle slowly, don't abruptly come off, reweight the front, slow down. Once you have the traction back, then you can start adding more steering back in at a slower speed. Um, so it's finding that balance. And, and, you know, race car drivers, that's what we do. We find the balance of, okay, I'm at the point where if I go any faster, I don't have any steering input. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I go any slower, then I'm going slow. <laughs> so it's, it's, that's what driving at the limit is. I'm driving as fast as I possibly can because if I, if I even add a touch more throttle, I'm going to understeer or I'm going to oversteer. Yeah, so that's what it's all about, and and that's why you know it's that's that's the point that um, we try to get people to is to find where is that limit, and now let's constantly live at that limit. All right, everybody, that wraps up another episode of the Petrolhead Podcast. Don't forget to check out petrolheadcafe.com/slash/shop to get uh, all kinds of branded uh, clothing and apparel. Um, And also, don't forget while you're shopping to use the code PODCAST for 15% off your entire order. And remember that it's free shipping over $39. Don't forget to stay warm, wear your mask, stay safe, change the diapers on your babies. This is Kyle saying we'll catch you next time. This is Chaz Logue. Speed safely.